Welcome to Make It Happen. My name is Tom Dalton. Each episode will have an inspiring guest tell their story of overcoming obstacles, never settling, and making it happen. Don't forget to share, subscribe, and review. So grab a coffee. Hope you enjoy the pod. Let's go. Okay, so welcome to Making It Happen. My name is Tom Dalton. I'm delighted to say we are on episode number 51 and we're going international this week. So I'm delighted to say I'm joined by one of my old bosses and a boss, great boss who's left a lasting impression on me and I suppose inspired me to, I suppose, he set up my own thing. So without further ado, I'm going to give this gentleman an introduction that gives him a bit of a background of where he came from, what he do. So for people who ask of the Canadian dream, but Emo Jakob is proof of exists. When he was 19 years old, he trained as an accountant, moved to Canada from Egypt in 1984. He didn't speak a word of English. Today, he's the energetic entrepreneur, is the co-founder, president, and CEO of Vancouver's Global Restaurant Group, overseeing daily operations of eight successful restaurants. Is it still eight or is it more? Oh, it's a lot more. We're about 11 of them and is no longer as a co uh, co-founder. I'm the founder. He's so the founder. Just, he's the boss. I'm, okay. the, I'm the boss. <laughs> I'm the boss. Exactly. Well, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much, Imad, for joining us. No, no problem, buddy. Um, so, Imad, what we try and do with, with all of our guests is probably just jump back. And I suppose, would you talk to us about maybe originally coming to Canada and what that, that experience sure. was like? Yeah, so... yeah. I, I was actually going to be an accounting, not trained accounting. So I was in my last year. I went into a faculty of commerce and I was studying business and accounting. Um, the rules in Egypt is probably, I don't know if in Ireland the same, but in Italy is the same way, is you have to do a couple of years in, in the army after you're finishing university. Um, they give you an extension after high school or you go directly to the army. If you're in the university, they give you an extension until you finish your education. Um, the problem was that I, I received my London immigrant paper because my parents did the immigration paper. My sister was living in Canada. My brother was living in Canada. My cousin was living in Canada. And my, uh, my parents did their immigration paper. And since they were, I was under 21, so I was uh, in, depending on them. So I was allowed to have my immigration paper as underage coming in with the parents. So I got stuck in a dilemma. If I stay to finish my university, the government does not allow me to leave the country on, when I'm on my fourth year. So the way they know there's lots of people will do the test, they will do their exam in fourth year, they leave the country. When the, when the results come out, they're already over, outside, they don't come back, but at least they have their education. So to, to make sure that they don't do that, they said, you're allowed to leave the country until uh, the third year. But the minute you hit your fourth year, you're not allowed to leave the country. So you have to present it that you're still in your third years and all those things. Now, if I stay to finish, I'm over 21. I lose my London immigrant. So I decided, you know what? I'm going to go to Canada. If I don't like it, I'll come back and finish my education. So I came to Canada when I was 19 years old. I didn't speak a word of English. Uh, left my university. And I was looking for a job. And the only job I got, I actually, in the morning, I went to apply for a job at McDonald's. The McDonald's didn't hire me uh, because, the, the, you know, in, when he was asking me some of the question, because I didn't understand it very well, I was so, um, uh, I was so excited to say, yeah, yeah, I'm going to go back to school. I'm going to study. So the guy looked at me and said, no, 
he's going to quit on me after three weeks. Like it's, uh, I'm going to hire him. I'm going to hire him in, uh, in August and he's going to quit on me by September to go back to school. I'm not going to have, he's looking for somebody that's going to be a full time. So he never gave me the job. In the meantime, I went in to, uh, to look for a job at uh, Harbor Castle Hilton and I got a job as a dishwasher. And there was four bucks an hour and um, I'm filling up the paperwork and uh, uh, the, the assistant director of HR came out to help me because she realized I don't speak English and she was trying to help me how to write it, the application. She's Lebanese, so she spoke Arabic and I'm Egyptian, I speak Arabic, so we start talking to each other. So she looked at me and said, you know what, Imad, you sound like a good kid. I actually have a better job just open in the kitchen as a kitchen helper. And instead of we'll get you as a dishwasher, we're going to put you in the kitchen. I want you to meet the chef. And so I went upstairs. I went upstairs with her. I stood there in front. This big executive chef with his big hat. And I have never been in a kitchen in my life. I have never seen white coats and how they dress up. And it, it looked, that kitchen super clean. And, and he looked at me and he said, you speak Arabic? Do you speak French? I said, no, I am uh, because he's Swiss. Very, very little. My family speak, but not, not as much. He said, that's okay. We have, uh, we have a Moroccan gentleman that speak uh, uh, Arabic. So he's gonna, you're going to work with him. He'll be perfect. You'll be perfect for him. And that's how I got in the kitchen. And I start uh, my, my, my first job is to squeeze orange juice. Boxes of boxes of boxes of boxes of orange juice. So I start doing that. And uh, I got very good at it. I got very fast at it because I looked at it as a, not a job, but I looked at it as a, the Orange Juice Olympics. Every day I want to beat my record. Every day I want to be faster and faster and faster. He used to call me the crazy Egyptian because he used to stand in a little corner with boxes of boxes of cut orange. And I'm standing with a little machine that spin and I have to use my hand to squeeze the orange that way. And I time myself and I practice and, and I set up the, I, I went into the engineering and I get the perfect box, wood box that stand on it. So my, my pressure and my angles will make me faster. It's, I took it so seriously that the job that used to take six and a half hours started dropping until I started doing it in about an hour and 15 minutes. Wow. And my bosses was like, used to look at me and said, oh my God, this guy's crazy. So of course I had lots of time on my hand. So I finished my job. I run to my chef. I said, what else chef? What can I do? What can I do? Throw some bacon. So I'm throw some bacon. Uh, uh, peel some potato. Peel some potato. I'm fast, 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 fast. So the fun part of it is um, I got fast on everything until one day I watch cooks are working and the breakfast cook got sick. And my sous chef at the time was, the, the kitchen was, uh, it was so short on staff and he had so much on his plate. I said to him, listen, I could help you. Uh, don't worry about my orange juice job because I already, uh, I, could, I could do it in the end of the day because I'm fast at it. I could help in the morning and then in the afternoon, I'll start squeezing orange juice. So he said, okay, you know what, Imad, just stand on the station. When you get an order, call me and I'll come help you with the orders. Well, the orders kept coming and I kept making them and put them out because I watched and I learned from the breakfast cook. The orders kept coming, the order kept coming. Now we're in a hotel, it's a room service, breakfast station. And we're in a hotel that does have 900 rooms, the Harbor Castle Health in that time. It was one of the busiest breakfasts they had in a long time. Uh -huh. I end up putting out about 400 covers. Every time the sous chef come out of the office, looked at me, are you okay, man? I'm okay. 
Well, the end of the day, the room service uh, waiter, captain, went into the chef and said, we need him to cook breakfast from now on because that was the smoothest breakfast we ever had. Wow. Next day, they put a hat on me. They gave me a chef coat and I started my apprenticeship. Wow. So I was 20, a little bit coming on 21. Um, um, by the... Um, by the, by the age of 27, I was the chef de cuisine of the King Edward Hotel, uh, running in all the restaurants in the King Edward. Uh, by uh, or 26, by 27, I was the executive chef of one of the top restaurants in Toronto. And I was in the 90s, uh, I was one of the top guys in Toronto, 90, uh, 93, 94, where I went on my own and becoming a big executive chef. Wow. Where I went on my own and becoming a big executive chef. And did food always, was that the passion, or did you always want to park accountancy or what? Well, you know what it is? I... I loved it and I loved it. And it, it brought in the, it brought in uh, the innovative part of me. So I was doing things that nobody was doing. Uh, I was the only guy that I walk into the market and see unique stuff that nobody ever worked with and I take it home and, and cook it. And, oh, there is uh, fava beans. Okay, nobody ever cooked with fava beans that time, right? So I bring it in and blanch a fava bean and I make it like a nice, almost like a risotto and I have a scallop on it. And let the chef try to say, oh, this is very interesting. That's very good, man. Oh, wow. I've never seen it like that. Okay. So it's actually get, it made me so creative. So when I went into the King Edward Hotel and I was working in the King Edward and John Higgins came in to be the executive chef, he was uh, a Scottish man that uh, worked in England for years, was working in Pakenham Palace. He was uh, the second in command in the Pakenham Palace. He's very talented, very, very talented. And uh, he was the youngest executive chef in in. In, a, in Canada, in a big hotel by the age of 26, he was executive chef of King of the Hotel. Um, me and him, we becoming a very good friends and he got the best out of me. He, first of all, the guy that trained Gordon Ramsay trained us. So it's just like, it was so hard on me and throw plates at me. And, and I ended up working with some of the most talented chefs uh, uh, that came through Canada, like um, Philippe Garnier, the son of Garnier, was working at the King Edward Hotel, and he was an incredible saucier that taught me how to deal, how to become a very great saucier. Um, John Higgins, uh, um, um, uh, what's his name? Uh, oh my God, God rest his soul, uh, was the chef of the uh, of the Watergate Hotel. Um, Jean Louis Paladin. I end up cooking with him. And so I end up was very lucky to cook with some very talented chef. And I watch and I learn and I cut on things very, very quickly from them. Um, it, it, it created a passion and it made me, uh, you know, there was no internet and there was no YouTube. So you go and you're walking into to the bookstores and you stand in the corner opening all these books and trying to memorize dishes because you can afford these books. You know what I mean? And write it on your hand, uh, uh, the ideas because you can write the recipe. And then you go in and say, okay, I'm going to create my own recipe with the same ideas. And that, that's how it got the, the creative flow in my head. And, uh, and uh, yeah, until uh, I was a very talented executive chef in Canada. And, but that wasn't the end of the story. Brilliant. And that passion, Imad, when did that flourish into, I want to set up my own business, I want to go out on my own, or what that looked well, like? Well, what happened is uh, something very unique popped in. By being an executive chef, you start running your restaurant as a business. And I found myself in Vancouver running in one of the, one of the biggest restaurants in Canada at that time called Joe Fortes. And the owner of the restaurant 
his uh, um, an accounting, his background. Uh, KPNG, very brilliant man, incredible in the business, understand his business so, so well. When I start working with him, what clicked back in my head is everything I did to be in an accounting, where that's when it, it put my talent as a chef and the numbers. And it, numbers come easy to me all the time because I, I'm a very good at numbers and math. So when I start doing it together, I start realizing that I have that killer combination is because chefs are very talented, but they have no fucking clue about numbers and budgets and how to build. I know a very big name chefs in the country that um, uh, that were trying to open their own restaurant and they were asking one of my buddies, I see on the paper depreciation. What's the depreciation? Is Well, I'm not surprised. These guys never did any accounting. So how can they run their own business when they don't understand depreciation? They don't understand uh, uh, leasehold improvement. They don't understand the things that make business goals. And that's what, when you add them both together, it created the perfect storm. I'm very good on my numbers. I understand fine dining with service. And I'm a, I'm a chef background. So my chefs cannot bullshit me. My floor managers cannot bullshit me because I, under, I will work at the floor as good as them or more. But the numbers is, come easy to me. So I could sit in a meeting and I would tell my chef, you're wasting there is lots of waste in your kitchen. And the chef was look at me and said, no, we don't have. I said, no, no, you have lots of waste in your kitchen. No, no, Imad, I, I guarantee there's no waste. I said, I don't need to walk through your kitchen. You have waste. And he said, how, how do you know that? I said, I'll tell you what. You did $350,000 in food sales this month, correct? I said, yeah. Last month, you did $349,000 in food sales. It's a thousand bucks different. It's not much. It's almost the same, correct? Yeah. Your garbage remover went up by an extra 700 bucks. And garbage removers is built on weight. So that means that your garbage is a lot heavier. That means that you're wasting food. I mean, the only, for, the only reason for me to catch that, because I understand numbers, when I look at it, I analyze the number and I say, why my garbage went up? Well, that means the garbage are heavier. That means that they're throwing things in the garbage. Well, if the sales is the same. So this is the things that I found it is very easy for me. And it's, uh, it makes the, the passion of the job and the fun of the job come together very, very easy. And, and it takes us where we are. What was the first jump? Talk to me about the first business you took. Okay, so, so I, I'm an executive chef. I can't own these big restaurants because these restaurants cost millions. I want to open my own business. I don't have that much money. I have a $25,000. That's all what I say. I go to Toronto. We find a coffee shop. The guy was bleeding, losing his shirt. He wanted about $190,000 for the, he spent 300 grand. He won a walkout was a, was a hundred and $180,000. It's not going to happen. We, the maximum we could give you, you're losing every day. So you want somebody to take the restaurant from you right now, because if you hold for another month, you lost another $10,000. Every month you're bleeding between 10 to $15,000 loss. So you could sit, you could keep it for six months. That's another $60,000. The guy was desperate. I said, we're going to take it from you for $93,000. Now I only have 25 grand, right? Don't forget that. I go convince my brother to put 25. I put 25 and my cousin put 25. So I have 75,000. We're still short. But how are we going to open the restaurant? We need cash flow. So I told him, we're going to give you 50% now and 50% in six months. Wow. But we take the place tomorrow. We clean it up from you. We take the headache from you. We take it tomorrow. 50%, 50%. So the guy agreed. 
give them $45,000 and we have $75,000. The rest, uh, the, the $30,000, we use it as a cash flow to buy food, to uh, like pay the rent for the landlord for the first months and the deposit. And I opened my door and my first day of sales was 440 bucks. And my knees was buckling. My knees was buckling because the rent alone in that restaurant was almost 300 bucks a day. Wow. It's a $10,000, $11,000 in rent. So $340 a day in rent. That was the daily rent. And I'm doing 400 bucks, 450 bucks. Exactly. That's what happened. So my knees were buckling. So I decided, okay, you know what? I'm going to have to um, do something about it. Next day, I said, I slapped my face. I said, Imad, listen, you've done it everywhere. You took restaurants that were not doing well, and you made the profit going up. You did it in Vancouver. You did it in Toronto. You're what you call troubleshooters. You have to troubleshoot your own restaurant. I never forget the first day I grab a, a table. I put it on the street. I went into the kitchen first and I, and I made all these beautiful sandwiches and salads and breakfast, beautiful large muffins and croissants and for, because it was a coffee shop. And then I, I put a table on the street and I put a big urn of coffee with lots of cups. And I stood on the street and every person coming in, I said, would you like a, a, a complimentary cup of coffee? So people walking into the office, sure, no problem. They grabbed the coffee, they filled it up. And then they looked at me and said, uh, cream and sugar? Oh, I'm sorry, I have it all inside. Please go ahead and get your cream and sugar inside. So everyone walking in with their coffee inside. They're checking out the place. The music is happening. They're seeing the display. They're seeing the center. They said, oh my God, I didn't realize that you guys are here. Oh, can I grab a muffin then since I'm here? And I tell you what, the 450 turned out to 500, 600, 700, 800. Until the restaurant was doing in an average of about per day between five to $7,000 a day in wow. revenue. We were packed all day long. Wow. It was the most fun place. It was the most fun place in Toronto. We opened a restaurant next door. We call it uh, Solon Young. It was a higher end fine dining. And we had these two places. And Imad, on that, sorry for cutting across, you know, but on that point, you've high quality food, you've high quality service. What keeps people coming back? Is it the experience? It's, it's, okay. So I always tell people, uh, um, my first story with Joe Fortis. Why did I take the job in Vancouver when I was running in a, a, a restaurant was very successful in Toronto, Drone uh, Award winner, one of the most English restaurants of North America, and I left it to go to Joe Fortis. So I went in and I made myself, myself a reservation for one. And I sat in the corner and the restaurant was packed. It was July, 4, uh, July 3rd. I never forget the day. Packed. Coming out on July 4th, American holiday. Line up on the door. Five hostesses, 500 covers. And I see Jean Alloway was in the city because he was promoting a book. He just won the second Super Bowl and he's retiring and promoting his book. The, um, the Indy was in uh, Formula One. Indy was in uh, Vancouver at that time. So Schumacher was in the restaurants. Uh, uh, Jessica Parker was down there. She's just, she had her uh, sex in the city. They had all these movie stars coming in for the, for the Indy. It was, it's a big, huge party in Vancouver then. And I stood in that restaurant watching the, the who's who and Ferraris and Lamborghinis on the door. And I ordered my food. And my food came in. And I look at the food. And I look at the restaurant. The food was shit. It was absolutely shit. So I look at the food. I look at the restaurant. I said, oh, my God. How did a place serving this crap? I mean, the restaurant is a lot better right now. How did a place serving this crap be able to be that packed? 
when my restaurant, the winning all these awards and we're putting in food with tweezers and perfect, we can't fill it up on a Sunday night, it's half empty. And we're lucky if we have a full, full on the weekends. These guys know something I don't know. I took the job because of that. I came to Vancouver and left my families and I came to Vancouver because I said, this guy knows something I don't, I want to learn. And what I learned from it is, is something uh, that people don't come to a restaurant for food and service. People coming into a restaurant when they feel, you know, like the show uh, Cheers, Norm, is how they feel when they walk into the space. And that's what he embedded in me, that's hospitality that my mother trained me when I was young not training me because I learned it from my mom. I used to watch my mother's doors open. We live on the second floor in a building that's five floor in Cairo. My aunt on the second floor, my mom in the second floor is two apartments per floor. And all these old ladies go to the market, they do their shopping, they grab the tomatoes, the meat, the fish, and they're walking up the stairs. There's no elevator, so they have to walk up the stairs. And Mary's door is open. And they always, when they're walking up the stairs, Mary, how good morning. Oh, come on in. Come on in. I'm making a pot of coffee. You want some coffee? I'm making a pot of tea. I'm actually baking some cookies. And this neighbor will sit on our couch. They don't have to knock on the door because our door was always open. They don't need to stick. And I'm coming to visit because our door was just hospitality. My mother hospitality. My uncles would sneak out of uh, work and they coming into their sister's uh, house for a lunch. We they don't even tell their wife that at my my mother's house because and they used to come in. Mary, Mary, what do you have? What are you cooking today? What are you cooking today? So the house was always open to everybody. The lady that sells us milk and used to come into the building to sell us milk because she's been running around in, uh, all over the Cairo. She stopped at our house. She's so tired. So she leaves the last order of milk for my mother so she could sit and relax and have a coffee and have a, and have a coffee with my mother. So this hospitality, what we added to our restaurants. If we could treat people like guests in my mother's house, they were always going to come back. They're always going to come back. That's the secret of our business. That's powerful. It's powerful stuff. And Imad, I love that story. I still remember back from 2007, you sitting down with me and telling me that um, coffee shop table and pulling people off the street. Yeah, yeah. I just, it's, it's one thing that's always stood with me. So thank you for sharing. So Imad, if we jump back there for a moment, Toronto, successful cafe and high-end restaurant next door. What was the next step on your journey? I can't. I came to Vancouver. Okay. So my, my, that time, my, my wife, what is my ex-wife right now? I, I got remarried. My wife was from Vancouver. Her father got very sick and he, he wanted her back. So I decided, okay, you know what? I, I was a, sh- a big chef in Vancouver. I, have, I know lots of people. Maybe it's time for us to open a proper restaurant. And that's why we came into Vancouver and we opened Global. And Global was a hit from the first day. It was just like that place to be. Uh, it opened my eyes on more than what I expected. I mean, I had my restaurants in Toronto busy, but Global was time five. And, and when we opened... Just, sorry, sorry, just on that email, I remember a story you said to me as well. You were looking at two locations, if, if I'm yes. correct. Yes. Talk to me the level of preparation and detail between the two locations and why you picked one. You know, they were both great. Uh, one was on the water, but then I... And one was in Yelltown. So I, I never forget. I was my, my set. I'm going to go on the one on the water. Right. And we already have a deal and I'm ready to sign on the lease. And I said, okay, we're going to need to come back to sign on the lease on the one on the waters. I come back and I go back again to the one in Yelltown. Uh, and then it was so dark. So I asked the, uh, the real estate, I said, can we remove all the paper off the windows? 
So we removed all the paper noise. There was not much light in it. And then I stood inside it. And then it felt like a cave in the beginning. But what happened was I saw, I gone in to have a coffee in the one on, beside the one on the water was a Starbucks. I want to grab my coffee and I sit down and watch. And I saw that everybody coming to that area are retirees, all people. Then I go to Yelltown and I, do, and I sit at Blends and I see that everybody is hip, young. And I said, wait a minute, we, we, we're still young, we're still hip. Why we want to go to the retirees? Retirees, they're not going to drink. Retirees is going to go to bed early. Retirees, they're going to eat twice a week. You want the, the young, you want the single, you want the guys that want to party. Like, and we're young and we, all the teams are young. So we decided, no, no, we should go to this, uh, to this direction. And it was a... It happened that maybe that's the lucky break that we needed. We took the right location and we learned from it that location, location, location is the most important thing. And Imad, there's a lot of people that maybe will listen to this and go, wow, like a couple of restaurants, move to Vancouver, it does well. A lot of people would sit back and maybe go, I've made it, things are good. Life yeah, is good. yeah, yeah. But talk to you about that drive and ambition, I suppose. I, I, because I, ne- I, never op- I never opened a restaurant for money. And I don't, I have never opened a restaurant for money. One restaurant global by itself would be, that time would, because don't forget, the pot is gets smaller and smaller and smaller every time you, you, you expand. People thinking that, oh, look at this, he's making bags of carbon. No, because you start, when I had one restaurant, I was the, the owner, the manager, the general manager, the, the, the executive chef or the corporate chef. I was the, the bus boy in the morning. I was the hostesses at night. I was everything. So any money I make, I keep. And then you open two restaurants, so you hire a general manager for each restaurant because you're running between both restaurants. And then you open the third, so you hire a director of operation. So that little pot gets smaller and smaller and smaller. But what I looked at it is, is, is if one day I own 1% of Starbucks or own my own coffee shop, I would prefer to own 1% of Starbucks. So I have passion of opening and designing restaurants. I have ideas in my head thinking that the market wanted. That's why I kept going. Um, and, and I go through moods. So I stopped for a little bit, but now I'm back in my this driving force. I'm working on three locations like right now. So it's things are back to where I was 15 years ago. I'm in a sec- and my second win came in. So. And Imad, just go through the numbers there. I got them wrong at the start. Tell us a little bit about the portfolio of the restaurants that you're, you have. So we, so, so we have Global and we have Coast and we have Italian Kitchen and we have Black and Blue. And we have the roof above black and blue is like a run as a separate uh, entity. And we have uh, Five Sale and we have Riley uh, and we have uh, Trattoria uh, on Fort, Trattoria in Burnaby, Trattoria in, uh, in West Van. And we are working on Trattoria for, uh, in uh, Willowbrook Mall. And we're working on, uh, I'm building right now, Toronto uh, Black and Blue. Um, and we have Nosh that I shut down a little bit. Like, I mean, I shut down more places than what I opened. So it's, it's not always rosy. Uh, my belief is, is if it doesn't work, don't let it go, keep going. It's going to bleed you. So just cut your losses and go. Yeah. And Ima, just on that, a couple of questions we've asked previous guests. What does failure look like for you? Or what, like, do, how do you deal with failure? You learn from your mistake. And failure for me is, is you have to analyze why did you fail. If you don't analyze what did you fail, don't blame it on anybody except yourself. Mm-hmm. You did not got the, the right product that the customer wants. Big part of it is people don't understand sometimes what's in your head 
your team. Because if you're, t- most of my failure restaurants is I, I didn't hold on and, t- and I, I did what's in my head. I let other people influence me. Like the restaurants that it didn't work. I let people influence me. I let people influence me about the locations when I don't like the location. You know what I mean? And I'm learning from there that I'm not making these bad decisions anymore. So I need my location to be the triple A. I need it to be the right one. I need to be make sure that it's the right move, not doing it on emotions, right? I get offered all the time locations everywhere. I don't do them anymore. doesn't matter. Even if I think it's great, if I don't think it's a super elite, I don't want it. Wow. Wow. And Imad, on the other side, the flip side, what do, how would you, what does success mean to you? That your restaurant is busy. That's it. I'm not, I don't care for the money. When I walk on a Friday night and every restaurant is packed and people have a smile on their face and say, oh my God, this is amazing. Imad, thank you so much. That's all what I'm looking for. You know, what's the revenue? Revenue is only indication of you doing a good job. Nothing, nothing got to do with, oh, I'm going to make money. It's indication that you did a good job today. You know, when you have a sold out arena, when you're a singer, people like your, your, uh, your music. That's it. That's the indication of you being successful because you have a sold out arena. When you're a sports team and you have a sold out arena, it's indication that people follow you because you're a good team. Because you could see it, you know, when the Blue Jays doesn't do well, the arena is empty. When the Blue Jays does very well, the arena is full. Same thing with hockey. Like, like people will follow somebody that they feel that they, they're connected to. So that's, the, that's I think, the sign of success. Yeah. And Imad, talk to us. How many staff have you got at the moment between everywhere? What, what numbers are we talking we, about? We will be around, we will be going to be by next year, 1,600 staff. Fantastic. Right now we're about uh, eleven hundred or so, but we're doing massive. We're shorting about one hundred fifty people in the company alone to be hired because we shorten stuff everywhere. But then, with when when you open black and blue and wall of brokerage, just like it's going to explode, maybe eighteen hundred staff. Right. Well, hopefully, any Irish people listen to this that are heading over to Vancouver. Okay. Yeah. If you're right. Irish, if you're Irish, you don't need visas. If you're under thirty-five years old, you can get an automatic working visa. Apply for it. Coming in. And you know what? We'd love to have you. And Irish people work their ass up. I love hiring Irish people. They have such an incredible uh, work ethics. I have not had an Irish. Because I started when I was in the King Edward. I was working with all Irish uh, chefs. An incredible ethics. Yeah, yeah, brilliant. So, Imad, I'm conscious of your time. I'm going to throw some quick-fire questions okay. at you before, before okay. we finish off. Um what is there anything that stands out to you so far, like a big lesson or a big light bulb moment that's happened in your life? Yes, uh, COVID. COVID really, really uh, taught us a lesson not to take business for granted. Because we were like, okay, we're busy. That's fine. We could invest here. Well, we don't need to give everybody a bonus. No, we really put us back. I said, it came out of nowhere, out of zero control, and I didn't stay for two months. And then I, through that, I learned, okay, we're going to have to really make sure that we're on the right track. Yeah. Cool. And if you think about, thanks for sharing that, by the way, regrets, what do regrets mean to you or how do you manage regrets? 
I try not to cry on a spill milk. Uh, I learn from it. So if I say regret, I regret that I didn't listen to my intuition and what's in my heart. So there's lots of decisions that I took. I was being influenced by my younger partner, my, uh, what I know was not the right decisions. And then I could see it, but I can't be telling people I told you so. Like it's, they're never going to grow. They're never going to be coming uh, or I'm going to be working seven days a week. So I allow them to make mistakes. And sometimes these mistakes are very, very costly for me. So uh, just you have to learn that, okay, if you, uh, there is sometimes where you have to put your foot down and say, no, that's it. This is the law. Take it or leave it. And Imad, with so many staff, is there one like trait you look for? Is it hard work? Because that's what, like, or that passion? I want people that have passion for service. Okay. That's it. Passion for service. Passion to be happy to look after people because these people love doing that. I love, I, I don't work. I wake up in the morning, can't wait to go to work yeah. on my day off. I feel like, Oh, I would love to pass by the restaurant. This is my passion. That was the one thing. Anytime I worked with you, I got the pleasure of working with you. You had no problem getting your hands dirty, whether it's clearing a table, helping staff out, helping chef out. You just always were reading the room and seeing what problems are arising and what you could support on, which was one thing that's always stood to me. I don't, the ping for me, the lesson I learned of you is don't get too big for your boots. Always, yeah, yeah. Um, you, you know, we're all the same, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so we're all, we're all together. I joke with people when I said to them, I said, you always think of yourself as a, as a team. You're uh, like, if, if the goalie doesn't do his job, then we're all fucked, right? So if you're really thinking, okay, you know, it's not my job. The minute you say it's not my job, then you're not part of the team. Yeah. You're not part of the team. Like the people that say it's not my job, they're never going to grow in life. They're never going to be anywhere. They're never going to be find themselves doing something when they say it's not my job. My job, whatever the job is, if I could do it, I'm going to do it. Brilliant. brilliant. Otherwise, I'm going to try to learn. Um, what's the best piece of advice you've ever gotten? My, my father years ago, when I went into that business and my whole family is doctors and engineers and educated, uh, and he said to me, do you really want to do that? And I said, yes. And I, he said to me, okay, I'll tell you what. doesn't matter what the job you're going to do as long as you're the best in it. So let's assume you're a, 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 a tiler, uh, you, you lay tiles, or you're a plumber or an electrician. Be the best than everybody else in the city because everybody's going to be looking for your service. And if you're looking for your service, if you're the best uh, guy that lay carpet, you're going to have this movie star waiting for, for months and months and months so you have time to come in and lay the carpet for them because you are nobody better than you. So whatever you're going to do, be the best. And that's the reason I think it pushed me all the time for whatever I do. You know, I wish even our business were like a sports team where, you know, when people said, the only way for people to know that you're the best is the two teams playing against each other. But in our business, it's, you can't, right? Like it's, uh, like you're going into arena and the winners, everybody been, everybody shut their mouths and said, yeah, they're the best. The global group is the best because we're, we're fighters. But unfortunately, that's not our business. So we can't do that. Brilliant. And last couple of things. Um, what's next? Talk to me what's next for EMAD and what's Tron- next. Toronto is a big, huge deal for us because I have so much in my head that I want to put it on a plate. It's actually, I'm doing a tasting right now after this. Um, if I do Toronto well, I'm taking black and blue Toronto and I'm going to open it all over North America. And maybe one day I'll bring it up to Europe. Okay. You know, it's like, it's like, it's like how restaurants from England, they open everywhere. Maybe, maybe that's time for us to do the same thing. 
but I have to do Toronto well first. Brilliant, brilliant. Um, so last two here. Um, if you could have a meal, Emad, with any five people dead or alive, who would it be? Oh, my family, because I work a lot. So I would spend some time with my kids, my wife, you know, my cousins, not yeah. fa- like my families. I, I hardly see most of them. So being with the family is just you bring the memory since you're a child. Family first, eh? Yeah. Yeah, brilliant. And just last one. Um, do you have any book recommendations or podcasts? Or well, if you're, if, you're, if, if you're in the business, uh, you need to read uh, Kitchen Confidential. Right? It's, it gives you what, what this kitchen is all about. And uh, um, watch the show, the old Gordon Ramsay, when he used to do that show, uh, Kitchen Nightmares. The old ones, when he was in London, it's actually, if you're in the business, just you need to see how we see things. I know it's, it's made for uh, audience and they fuck it up and they did and they fuck it up more, but read the, the message inside it. Read the, read the message inside it. And the message inside it sometimes is a very, I used to watch these shows to just read the message of when he's talking about uh, these big chefs, because chefs are known for fucking up businesses. Because they think that they know everything, but the truth is, if people don't come in to eat your food, then you know nothing. Yeah, 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 brilliant. Um, and Imad, where can people stay connected with you on global website on the on social media? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You could email anybody could email me imad at globalgroup.com. I, I I read everything. Brilliant, brilliant. Well, listen, thank you so much. It's a pleasure catch up with you. It's been too long, and I just want to say, first off, I'm very grateful for what you've given me in life. No, no. And I hope the listeners get some value out of this. And thank you so much, sir. Good luck, good luck, buddy. Thank you Cheers. so much. Ciao. Bye.